If you haven't yet, go ahead and uh, put your thumbs in uh, 2 Kings. We'll be hiding out there at 2 Kings and the, the, the last part of 1 Kings a little bit today. So I'll go ahead and just tell you along the way what, what passages we're working through, and uh, you can write those down if you're taking notes. Well, good morning. <laughs> it's good to see you all in worship today. When was the last time that you were surprised by something? When was the last time uh, you were, you know, cruising along in life, everything's normal, working as it normally does, everything's fine, and then bam, something unexpected happens. Maybe you've experienced a surprise kind of like this couple, this young couple at the end of their first date. This was a young man, this was obviously a bygone era, as you'll figure out with the joke here. It was a young man in a bygone era who took his girl home at the end of the evening, he decided to try that important first kiss. And with an air of confidence, he leaned his hand against the wall, got up close to her, smiled real big, and he said, how about a goodnight kiss? Well, the girl with proper modesty said, are you crazy? My parents will see us. And the boy said, oh, come on. Who's going to see us at this hour? And she said, no, come on, really, we, we, we can't do this. What if, what if we get caught? He says, oh, come on, they're all sleeping. The girl says, no way, it's, it's too risky. Please, I mean, what a desperate guy. He starts begging, please, I like you so much. And the girl says, no, no, I like you too, but I just can't. And then right at that moment, with his hand against the wall, next to his girl, the porch light comes on to his surprise. You ever been there? The porch light comes on and you're in that kind of situation. I'm sure none of you have. <laughs> Maybe it was the police officer's flashlight for you. Right then, on that front porch, the door opened and there stood this girl's sister, hair sort of disheveled, in her pajamas, less than amused. And in a sleepy voice, she said, Dad says to go ahead and give him a kiss. Or I can do it. If need be, Dad himself will come down and do it. <laughs> Whatever you do, tell your date to take his hand off the intercom button. <laughs> they all had a surprise at that point. <clears throat> you ever done that, guys? Announced that you're going to be trying to uh, make the move? Today we're starting a brief series, just this week and next week, called Yikes. Yikes, that's in the Bible? It's sort of a surprise when we're, we're, we're going along, cruising, reading through Scripture, and we come to passages like this, and we think, what is that doing in there? They're not exactly the kind of passages you expect in the Bible. And you've probably never heard a sermon on these two passages that we'll talk about this week and next week. It's those yikes, what in the world is that doing there kind of story that we want to look at today and next week. <clears throat> so as we get into it, let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's leading. Father, as we come into your word, as we dive into your scriptures today, we ask that you would give us hearts that are humble, that we would be molded and shaped through your Holy Spirit to be more and more like the people you've called us to be, 
the congregation you've called us to be. So that when we declare your name and your praises, that they are not empty words, but words that reflect your power and your glory. Father, we're so guilty of using empty words, of backing up words that are meant to be strong and powerful with lives that are so weak and helpless. So, Father, we ask that through studying your scriptures today, through looking at the examples, both good and bad, of those who have gone before us, that you would teach us so that we would leave this place changed. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Have any of you ever played, ever played the second-rate Robin to the main man, Batman? Maybe you've been the one who takes over at work for, for Mr. or Mrs. Wonderful. Like the young Scott who follows wise and experienced Charles Reese, my predecessor in the pulpit here at First Christian. What inevitably happens in circumstances like that, it seems, is that when you're following that Batman, that Mr. or Mrs. Wonderful who went before you, is that you'll hear things like this. Well, Charles was so good at this. <laughs> I have never gotten an amen for that kind of thing. <laughs> or, or I always remember when Jeff would do this, or Bob was such a great this and that. Some of you may know that when I prepare my sermons, I collaborate with a couple guys from Johnson City who are some preacher friends of mine. We get together, we share resources, and we, we think through the passage together. One of those guys is the minister at Grandview Christian Church on University Parkway in Johnson City. His name is Aaron. Aaron is a great, great guy. He's that kind of guy who it's impossible not to really like. He's a great preacher, and he's a real good pastor. But Aaron followed a guy named Ben. And Ben is a rock star preacher. Ben is a rock star preacher at a megachurch of almost 4,000. He was just ordained with this sort of official rock star preacher status at the North American Christian Convention that Tommy and I went to a couple weeks ago in Indianapolis. Aaron is telling this story as we speak about following the mega church rock star preacher. He says this about his predecessor, Ben. He says, a lot of people love Ben. He is energetic. He is talented. He has a full head of hair. Guess who's the one who doesn't have much hair anymore? So one day, Aaron tells this story about Right after he took over for his predecessor, Ben, a couple from the church approached him and said, You know, Aaron, I, I hate to say this, but we're going to be leaving. We're going to be leaving Grandview. They explained why, and they were careful to say that it had nothing to do with Aaron, nothing to do with him. In fact, they said, And please know, Aaron, that it's not you. And then the wife said it. She said this. You could tell what's coming. In fact, Aaron, you're like a little Ben to us. <laughs> Ouch. You're just like a little Ben to us, but with less hair. No, she didn't actually say that. <laughs> Have you ever in your own life kind of felt like that? That second fiddle place? That little dig, maybe, 
That little dig that, that hits you just wrong. That little hot button of yours that is easily pressed. And inside, you feel the pain to your core. You, you feel it in your bones. Your stomach twists and it turns. Sure, on the outside, we keep a tough exterior. We, we smile, we nod our head on the outside. Those kind of moments, they come to you in life, and you never know when they're going to arrive. Those comments that are suddenly here, bam, and you never saw it coming. It's sort of like, like walking in the wintertime when it's icy outside. We're obviously in the north for this one. You're being careful. You're aware of the ice. You're watching your step. And then without warning, boom, down goes Fraser. For the young, Fraser was a boxer. No one expected him to go down. This guy who we come across today in our text is Elisha the prophet. He takes a Fraser-like spill. He takes a big spill because of this group of, of young punks who took him by surprise. And apparently they knew exactly how to touch his hot button. Because he responds, right or wrong, with a vengeance. Now before we unpack today's passage, let's, let's find out who this young prophet Elisha is. And let's see why, why he would have responded as violently as he did. Let's, let's give the context about the elated Elisha. You see, Elisha has just taken over for this great prophet, Elijah. Elisha was being given the opportunity of a lifetime. It's like being a guy named Gene Bartow. You may not have heard of him, but you've heard of the guy who came before him, Coach John Wooden, who just recently died. One of the greatest coaches of all time. Coach for the UCLA Bruins for years and years and years. Gene Bartow simply had to breathe... And the UCLA Bruins, for the next two years, were 52-9. and nine. Can you imagine being a guy like Gene Bartow in 75? You receive that phone call. Hey, Coach Wooden is retiring. We were thinking maybe you'd want to take over for him. Wouldn't take long to say yes to that one. You don't turn down being the coach of the Bruins in 75. And Elisha is in that kind of circumstance. Because Elijah was the best there was. And Elisha was really excited to take over for him. You see, Elijah was the guy who predicted a great drought on the land because of King Ahab's rebellion against God. And during that drought, he was fed by ravens. He was fed by birds, which brought him food twice a day. The people knew about this guy, Elijah. Elijah had brought a widow's dead son back to life. The people all knew about Elijah. Elijah had been a fierce opponent of the, the idol worship of the cult of Baal. He proved that God, capital G, was the one true God over against the powerless God, little g, by calling down fire from heaven to consume all of the water-drenched sacrifices, licking up every last bit of water. That was after he had said to the prophets of Baal to taunt them. Maybe your God is away on vacation. Maybe he's relieving himself. This Elijah character was a smooth operator. So when this Elijah, the greatest prophet 
the people of God had ever known up to that point. When he stopped by to ordain Elisha as his successor, as the next prophet, you can imagine that young Elisha was beyond excited. He was he was enthusiastic. He was elated. His life had a purpose he didn't know about until then. We see this excitement in Elisha's life in two different ways. We'll give you the context about who Elisha is and why he gets so excited. First is this. Turn to 1 Kings, the 19th chapter. 1 Kings 19, verses, 20, uh, verses 19 through 21. 1 Kings 19... 19 through 21. Elisha wanted so badly to live up to his predecessor that he gives up his livelihood and his inheritance. 1 Kings 19 is where we see the call of Elisha. It says, look at verse 19 here, Elijah passed by him, and it said he cast his cloak upon him. This was a sign of the transfer of authority and of power. Elijah was saying, Elisha, you are ready to take my mantle. Verse 20, and he, that is Elisha, and he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah. He didn't say he walked, he didn't saunter, he was excited, he ran. And he said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. To which Elijah says, wait a minute, wait a minute, whippersnapper, don't you realize what I've just done to you? And he says, go back again for what have I done to you? But it sounds here like Elijah's giving him the option of going back to say goodbye to his parents. But Elisha understood the importance of what was going on here. And so, as the text says, verse 21 is where we pick it up now. He, in other words, Elisha, returned from following him, that is Elijah, and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. He was so excited that he left everything and he immediately followed. He didn't even go back to say goodbye to mom and dad. A little Bible nerd note here for you. This passage is exactly the passage that Jesus refers to in Luke 9. In Luke 9, verses 61 and 62. In that passage there, Jesus is talking about what it means to follow him. Jesus is talking about the person who wavers in his commitment to Christ. And the person who says, verse 61, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. That's not exactly a very committed kind of phrase. I will follow you, but... And so verse 62, it says, Jesus said to this guy, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, your hand can only be on the plow if you're looking forward. So even though Elijah in our passage here gives him the option of saying goodbye to his parents in 1 Kings 19, Elisha is so excited that he puts his hand to the plow, looking forward to his new life as a prophet. He wanted so badly to live up to his predecessor. 
that he gives up his livelihood and his inheritance to follow Elijah. Now turn back to 2 Kings here. We're going to be in the second chapter. 2 Kings 2, verses 9 through 12 there. In 2 Kings 2. Elisha, the younger one, was so excited that he asked Elijah to bless him. He asked him to bless him with a special dose of prophet power. You see, it was time for Elijah to get his gold watch, to retire by being swept up into heaven by chariots of fire. And Elisha wanted to carry on Elijah's mission the best he could. He was so excited that he stayed by Elijah's side. And and even when Elijah said, go on now, leave me, you're done, Elisha would not be moved. So when old Elijah, about to be swept away, looked at young Elisha and said in verse 9, what can I do for you? Elisha said, give me a double portion of your spirit. (laughs) In verse 10, Elijah basically said, you're crazy. But I'll do it if you see me taken up into heaven. And then lo and behold, Elisha saw that sweet chariot swing low to escort Elijah into the heavens so that Elijah could receive his gold watch. And it appeared to work. Elijah had his master's cloak and was able to do some magnificent things just like Elijah had. In fact, it turns out that Scripture has twice as many chapters devoted to Elisha, the younger, than it does Elijah. And Elisha lives about as twice as long as Elijah. And the Bible records exactly twice as many miracles for Elisha as it does Elijah. So the double portion of prophet power seemed to work. And so here's Elisha, newly crowned with the authority and weight and power of a prophet, of a spokesperson for God. He has teams of prophets in the area that immediately turned to him and began to follow him. They recognized that Elijah's spirit rested on Elisha. He was having great success, that is Elisha, as the kingpin of prophets here. He was now the top dog. He even healed the water for an entire town. Elisha had finally arrived. And just as he did, something caught his eye on the horizon in our passage. A gang of unruly youths. Flip back over to our passage here in Second Kings, the second chapter, verses 23 to 25. Here is Elisha, loving his newfound status as the big cheese, when, surprise, some unruly punks come and they say, verse 23, they say, go up, you bald head. Go up. Baldy. And Elisha just lost it. He went from excited and elated 
to out of control. He might have gotten double power from Elijah, and he might have won the award for a cool prophet with the most miracles, but he lost the battle with dealing well with criticism or grace under pressure. These youths, they surprised him by hitting his hot button. So in verse 24 it says, He turned around and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Friends, the name of the Lord has power. And Elisha used, some would say abused, that power to bring down a curse on those young men. Many versions use the word boys, but the Hebrew there is probably actually more like young men. They knew what they were doing. Apparently this curse that he brought down came with the power of some pretty vicious bears coming along. And as the text says, mauling 42 of them. This text raises lots of yikes kinds of questions. And if you're looking for good pat answers, sorry to disappoint. There aren't a lot available in the text itself. Frankly, there's a lot in this passage that we don't know. Though this judgment seems harsh. This group was probably much larger than 42. And Elisha may have been in danger for his life. Look at verse 24. It says the bears tore 42 of the boys. Maybe his response was self-defense. Because it was a mob that was attacking him first. We don't really know. And we also don't know if that word for mauling or, or, or tearing there. We don't know if that means that they died. It might simply mean that the 42 were sent sort of a vicious warning sign by being sort of torn at and torn up, well, messed up. We don't really know. And we also don't know very well from the text, perhaps the most critical issue. We don't know if this was an abuse of power by young Elisha or if it was a judgment from God. It may be both. It might be an abuse of Elisha's newfound power that God nonetheless used to warn people to listen to his prophets and his appointed spokespeople and to obey him. You see, the difficulty of the world we live in is that it's a world where the possibility of love has to exist between an infinitely holy and perfect God and sinful imperfect humanity. And as crazy as it sounds, God can even use our less than perfect and, yes, sinful efforts to accomplish His always perfect will. Whatever the case, it's obvious from Scripture that Elisha lost it. He lost control. And here's why. These young men, they come out and they're saying, Well, Mr. Big Bad Prophet with all this new power, if you're so great, why don't you go up to heaven on chariots of fire like your predecessor Elijah? Now, maybe Elisha could have shrugged that off. But they went for the jugular and they called him Baldy. <laughs> and apparently that was the last straw. 
After all that preparation, Elisha's thinking to himself, after all that close following of Elijah, after all that excitement and that enthusiasm for the task of being God's prophet, they go for the off-limits jugular and they call him Baldy. Why did that bother him so much? Who cares if he doesn't have much hair? Look at 2 Kings 1, verse 8. 2 Kings 1, verse 8. Turnovers to page or two there. It says, They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah had a lot of hair. So the insult was more like, if, if some of you are old enough to remember, there was that old vice presidential debate between Benson and Quayle. Lloyd Benson and Dan Quayle. Where, where Lloyd Benson just leveled Quayle with this line. Senator Quayle, I served with Jack Kennedy. I knew Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. And he said this, Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy. If you're old enough to remember that moment... That's Elisha's feeling. When these boys yell, Baldy, why don't you go on up? You're no Elijah. And Elisha just snaps. And he brings down curses on them. He snapped because they were saying, You may have prophetic power, but you're no Elijah. You ever been in that place? Inadequacy not being quite good enough, second fiddle, Robin to Batman, following Mr. or Mrs. Wonderful. Or maybe there are those hot button things in our lives that are off limits things that we don't like anybody else to know about. Certainly not talk about out loud or make fun of. Maybe you, maybe you've been unjustly called things for trying to do what was good and right. Maybe you've endured unfair name-calling for for trying to do what you knew God wanted you to do. Maybe you're in a situation at work or at home, somewhere in your life even now, where enduring ridicule is a regular occurrence. Friends, the cross, the cross stands as a testament to endure even injustice with patience and kindness and humility and grace. The cross stands as a testament for us to endure that with love and mercy and grace. Because we follow the God who endured the greatest injustice that has ever happened with even greater love and grace. I wonder, I wonder if Christ on the cross felt like Elisha. After all that preparation, after all those miracles, all those moments of of lovingly teaching and caring for his disciples and his followers, after, after all that prayer, they mocked him. Hail, 
king of the Jews. They struck his head. They spit on him. If you're so great, save yourself, they said. I wonder if Jesus felt like Elisha. I don't think so. Not Jesus. No curses on his accusers. No bears from the woods. No fire from heaven to consume those who mocked him, at least not yet. You see, when the weight of all sin for all time was being heaped on Jesus' head, there was no violence. Just an infinite God granting peace and love and mercy and grace to those who ridiculed and mocked him. Elisha doesn't stand to us so much as something we should emulate or not as a testament to what it means for us to endure with patience and long-suffering in a life where we are sometimes unjustly called things we don't deserve, where people hit your hot buttons. Friends, if Christ can endure lovingly, patiently, humbly, mocking and scorn, we are called to do the same. May we become the kind of people who can do that well. Friends, we have a time of invitation here where if you're looking for a church home and you're a baptized believer, a immersed believer in Christ, and you'd like to, to take stock in what we're doing here as a church and to be a part of our congregation, we'd invite you forward. Or if you'd like to, to be baptized and to take on the name of Jesus publicly as a part of this congregation, Come forward as we stand and as we sing.